This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we near the end of our journey through the silent years and the context of Jesus' ministry, examining the fifth group we've introduced ourselves to, the Pharisees. We have Megan Marie Gambino still with us. One more episode. Hello. Yes. Here Couldn't to talk get to us. Here to talk to us about the Pharisees. Woohoo. Love those Pharisees. Talk with us about the Pharisees. Talk to us about the Pharisees. I'm going to talk to you about these Pharisees. I like it. Probably not. Miss having her around so much. So here's how Here's how uh, we're going to do this. We're gonna, we got a presentation. We got some pictures. Uh, we've talked about Hellenism and these, we've been going through, we introduced Hellenism as this idea that the Greeks brought a whole new worldview that had moved the gods out of the center of the worldview and replaced it with man. Man was the measure of all things. They had built a culture around education and, and, uh, competition, theater and arena, gymnasium, uh, uh, Asclepian, the hospital, healthcare. Like they had built a world that was meant to serve man and their own interests. Um, a world of really empire, like a world of self-preservation. And then, and then Judaism had to figure out how they responded to this. And so we introduced ourselves to all five worldviews, and then we're going through each each one of them podcast by podcast. So we've talked about Sadducees being this corrupt um, religious establishment, like a corrupt temple mafia system um, that had been ordained by God, but was obviously totally corrupt. We talked about um, the Herodians, which were, um, they wanted to embrace Hellenism. They loved what the Roman Hellenistic world brought them. Um, and that meant that they were perfectly placed for God's mission because that that's the exact world that God wants to redeem. But they were also struggling with idolatry. We have the world of the Essenes who uh, went off into the desert to be, become people who knew the text and and walked the text, to know the path and to walk the path, to know the path and to walk the path, to know the path and walk the path. The problem was that they had separated themselves from the mission of God by, by removing themselves out into the middle of the desert. The positive thing was they were people committed to the text. Um, and then and then you have, uh, we had the group last week where we talked about the Zealots who, who obviously... Um, responding with zeal and passion, uh, thought the response to Rome would just be to just overthrow them with military might, essentially, essentially kill Rome. Um, and, uh, and so what they, the negative that they bring is that they believe in the myth of redemptive violence. The positive is that they, uh, they have the zeal that's going to be needed to actually get the job done. So we have one group left and that's the group of the Pharisees, a group that we think we know really well because it's the the big popular group that Jesus is bashing on all the time in the Gospels. And I think we need to do some really good work here trying to understand the Pharisees and not necessarily necessarily let them off the hook, um, but just try to appreciate where they're coming from and make some observations about Jesus. So um, that's what we're doing. So last podcast, we talked about a group, um, the pious ones. Can you remember, Megan, what the name for the pious ones was in Hebrew? Hasidim? Yeah. Well Hasidim. Done. I don't remember how you, yeah. what syllable. The, the Hasidim. Hasidim. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Perfect. The, the pious uh, ones, right? The pronunciation has shifted. Yeah, it used to be Hasidim when it Bema. was my it's day true. of Bema. I happen to be learning more and more about my Hebrew and the ways that I say it incorrectly. So. Ah. Always with, learning people. Problem when your teacher doesn't know as much as he should know. He gives you <sighs> bad information. We're always learning. Always learning. So that's what we're doing. We're learning. So the Hasidim, and they went up north. They rejected this acceptance of Hellenism. Ugh. 
and they didn't want to separate themselves and go off into the desert, but they did want to try to create a culture in which they could be totally devoted. And one of those groups was the Zealots. They wanted to be totally devoted to God and to the mission in a violent, militant way. But there was another group of the Hasidim, and they weren't going to to respond with redemptive violence. They weren't going to respond with military might. They were going to respond with an absolute commitment and devotion to um, the commands of God, to the way of God, to the text of God. And so they went and they settled in the Galilee. And one of the things we'll look at next podcast is we're going to look at a map of where all these groups landed in the region of the Galilee where Jesus did most of his ministry. But the Pharisees landed in a region that historians will often call the Triangle. Really three different cities. There's really five, uh-huh. but there's a triangle um, that of Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. Uh, those are your three towns that really constitute uh, the Galilean Triangle. Some would also include Gennesaret and Magadan, um, but uh, that that would be your triangle. This is where the Orthodox Jews of Jesus's day, the Pharisaic worldview, settled amongst lots of places, but that was one of the places where they really settled down and hunkered down. Um, their commitment, think of all of the zeal that the zealot has. But channel that, instead of channeling that into militant action of redemptive violence, channel all of that zeal into absolute devotion to obedience. That is the Pharisee. So every group is essentially asking the question, what do you do about Rome? So, uh, Brent, if we were to ask the Sadducee, what do we do about Rome? What would the Sadducee say? Well, we partner with them. Yeah, in a very corrupt way. Like we, we line our pockets. We line our pockets. That's absolutely correct. If uh, you were to ask a Herodian, Megan, what do you do about Rome? What does the Herodian say? Well, back in my day, we would say, you obviously get in bed with Rome. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, this is wonderful. We love, <laughs> we love Hellenism. Yes, love it. Okay. And uh, very interesting choice of words, but I like that. It what works. What you've said before. So. That is exactly what- it's long uh, lived I've taught. The phrase. Yep, prior prior before the public podcast. That is exactly what I taught. Marty has since increased in wisdom and stature. <laughs> and uh, and then if if you were to ask an Essene, Essene, what do you do about Rome? What would the Essene say? You well, run away, get yeah, away, run away. You gotta you gotta know the text because you gotta be ready when 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 people are looking for the Dead the Sea Scrolls. Comes. Yeah, uh, uh, almost tongue in cheek. I always say that Essenes would say Rome. What Rome? Like, yes. they like ran off into the desert. They don't even have to deal with Rome. Like Rome's not wandering around Qumran, uh, right outside the poisonous sea in the middle of the scorching heat. So they, they don't even have to really deal with the question of Rome um, on one hand. I mean, that's not really fair, but on, you get the you get the tongue in cheek reference there. You and can the, tell you really love that group. I know. They're such my favorite. They're my favorite. And then uh, group four, the Zealots. If you were to ask the Zealots, what do you do about Rome? Obviously. Obviously, you kill them. Kill them. If you were to ask the Pharisee, what do you do about Rome? The Pharisee would say, you're asking the wrong question. Let God deal with Rome. What we have to focus on is absolute obedience and devotion to his commandments. And when we finally are the people that God asked us to be, Hmm. then God will rescue us. God will deal with Rome when God is good and ready. Like I think back to session one when we talked about our time in the desert and we said man would not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I I think on some level, that's what the Pharisees are saying. I don't know what God's going to do with Rome, but I'm going to let God deal with Rome when God is good and ready. I'm just going to be. And if you understand that commitment, you now understand why the Pharisees are so hard on the sinners. Hmm. 
It's not just because they're a bunch of jerks. It's because when they see a tax collector, when they see a prostitute, in their worldview, they look at them and think, you're the reason that Rome is still here. Now, Jesus is going to critique that as he should and as we should understand very harshly. And we'll talk about that much, much more by the time we're done with Jesus. But their commitment is not just because they're jerks. It's because it's a worldview that, that truly believes in their heart, if we would just be obedient enough, God would save us. So you sinners are the reason that God's not delivering us. Couldn't you just get your, your, your act in line and, and deal with deal with things the, the right way, because then God would finally come and save us. So we got that presentation that we referenced. Let's pull up some pictures here and just kind of talk through the Pharisees. So the first picture here is of Chorazin. We got a handful of pictures that are going to be from Chorazin. Uh, and we got a picture from Capernaum and a picture from Bethsaida, the triangle. But Chorazin, we've got a few. Um, this is the synagogue. I think you probably saw this picture in the synagogue presentation as well. Back in uh, podcast 74, did you say, uh, Brent, I believe? I'm not completely confident that this picture's in it, but yeah. we definitely talked about synagogue. All right. If, if synagogue you missed that conversation. That is in episode 74 when we talked about synagogue. But the reason I have this in here is because this sits in the center of Chorazin. To the Pharisaic worldview, go back to that episode and think about all the things we talked about when it came to, we were talking about how, how Second Temple Judaism was centered around text. It was centered around text. That is the heartbeat of the Pharisaic world. If you go to a Pharisaic uh, if you go to a town in the Triangle, if you go to a Pharisaic village, what you're going to have in the middle of town is the synagogue. And what did we say was in the middle of the synagogue? The Bima. The Bima. And the Bima is the where we read the scriptures and the text from. Uh, and so text is central. They are totally 110% committed to text. Uh, go ahead and give me the next photo. What do we got here? Okay, so the next photo, this is, I don't really know even exactly what we're looking at, but you can see the town in the background. This is going to become relevant later. Well, let's talk about this now. When we uh, showed pictures of Zippori, for which group, Brent? We showed pictures of Zippori, Sepphoris, for the group known as, starts with an H? Herodians. Herodians. Megan's on it. Yeah. So when we, when we looked at the Herodians, we looked at the, and what did we, what did we see when we looked at the pictures? Brent, all kinds of, like, tell me about what we saw in, in, uh, in Sapori. You, you had all of these beautiful things. You yeah. had images. You yep. had, you know, designs. Not images. Well, you did have images. Yeah, we did. All over in there, right? We had mosaics. At first, we, we looked at just the mosaic designs. Right. But then we mm. saw that they had some some imagery in there, too. Yeah. Mm. Do you get this? Do you get that picture when you look at Corazon? No. No, they are definitely in Pharisaic world, not spending the money putting mosaics in their floors. That is not why they're there. The artists are not here. Yeah, big, they, big they, roughly cut stones. Yes. They are here to be obedient to God, not to enjoy the fluff and the luxury and the, and the, the, what's the word? What's the, the, the comfort and the leisure of Hellenism. They are here to be devoted to God. So this is very practical. Uh, give me the next picture. Um, this is a, a picture of an, an insula in the center, just kind of just to the to the side. This would be just to the east of the synagogue. There's a two-family insula. Two families, they believed, actually either were related or worked closely together, and they made two insulas that faced each other. An insula is something we'll maybe talk about more later, but an insula is a multi-family dwelling. It's how you lived when you lived in the Pharisaic worldview because you weren't trying to have your own house with your own car and your own washer and dryer and your own and your own. And your, that's Hellenism. Hellenism says, have it your way right away. Have your own stuff. 
The Pharisaic world says we're here to be obedient to God, and we can do this a lot better if we share, if we're committed to each other as a community, and so you end up having insula. Go and give me the next photo. Just more close-up of that same insula, kind of looking back towards the synagogue. Uh, Go and give me the next one. Just to give you an idea, I mean, this is the world that they chose to live in. This is different than Zippori. I mean, that's their courtyard. In, In Zippori, that would have been a mosaic. It would have been perfectly cut Hellenistic stones. Everything would have been square. Probably would have been marble. Smooth floor. Absolutely. Here, not so much. This is much more practical, much more rough. Next photo. Uh, This is just obviously me. This is is the insula that we were talking about a couple of photos ago. Yes. And that gives you an idea of size. So this is our group walking through the courtyard of that exact same insula that we've been looking at in the last few photos. Um, It's also a great time to say, hey, you should come follow me in a group like that. Also, if you really want to learn about the power of an insula, you need to be there in person. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Great point. Got to come with. Okay, give me the give me give me the next photo. Where are we at next? Uh, Let's Capernaum. Okay, Capernaum. This would be. So I do believe that we're going to have pictures in episode seventy four in the synagogue presentation that you had um, there. I believe you would have had pictures of the synagogue in Capernaum. It would be the super nice one, white marble. This location here that you're looking at in this photo, this is another insula that's in Capernaum. Capernaum was the Yale or the Harvard of the Pharisaic world. So when you see Jesus go and set up shop in Capernaum in his ministry, realize he is going to the heart of the Pharisaic worldview, to the to where the best of the best of the best of the best in the Pharisee that the Pharisees have to offer. They're going to school here. They're being trained here. They're engaging rabbinical discussion and debate here. This is the worldview that Jesus walks right into the middle of and sets up shop as this kind of outcast rabbi with a rough ragtag bunch of disciples and just starts wowing people with his ability to engage in their rabbinical worldview. Uh, Give me the next one. Uh, This is a, uh, we've kind of put a wide scope of what what do you call that panorama photo there, Brent, of of another insula. This one is in Bethsaida. Um, This could very well be. Uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of maybe seven to 10 families. Scholars are saying maybe Bethsaida was much bigger than we think it was. There's a couple of references that Josephus makes to the Greek city that is also known as Bethsaida. And it may have been much, much larger than we anticipate. But as far as what we know, seven to 10 families in Bethsaida. I mean, there's a relatively good chance this insula could have been the insula of Peter and Andrew, James or John, possibly Philip. They were our Bethsaida boys. Um, so that's what we have. Uh, there in that photo. This just gives you an idea of of the the Pharisaic worldview and what Jesus is is coming to do. Um, and again, I want to try to try to reiterate: this is a group of people. I wish, uh, I wish, I wish, I wish that we had an ounce of the devotion that the Pharisees had to the text and walking, being devoted to obedience. Um, I think we're so hard on the Pharisees because of how often Jesus is going to critique uh, the Pharisaic worldview. Um, And for good reason, we should be very critical on the Pharisees because of how Jesus is critical on the Pharisees. And yet, which group, Megan, is Jesus going to work with for three years? Which group is Jesus going to focus his work with? The Parashim. The Parashim. The Parashim, right? The Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. The the Pharisees, that's who he's going to work with. I, I find that fascinating. Like Jesus, Jesus is going to come. Yes, Jesus is hard on the Pharisees, but Jesus works almost, I'm uh, not exclusively, his 
focus without a doubt is on the, the world of the Pharisees. He doesn't come any like he works with the Herodians. He calls Herodians. He's around Herodians. He doesn't speak to Herodians for three years. He he comes and he calls zealots. Like he works with zealots. He definitely uses zealots for his ministry. He doesn't speak to zealots and his. He doesn't speak to the Essenes. He he's only going to spend one week with the Sadducees and get himself crucified. Mm-hmm. For three years, he's going to work with the Pharisees because they have every single piece that God's people need except the one that matters. They're missing the one piece that matters. They've got everything else. And the one piece that matters is the one piece that they lack, and it ruins everything when you don't have it. So, Megan, I had a passage that you had. So, quick question yes. before we move yep. on. So, when Jesus says, when he sends out the 12, yes, and he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel, uh-huh. is he referring specifically to the Pharisees? <gasps> I don't, oh boy, that's a good question. I've always read that to be a much wider, like kind of everybody, like all five groups, like go to all of, all of the Israel, all the house of Israel. But I wonder the lost sheep. Because it's not the priesthood. I would still hear the text in that, in that, like Ezekiel 34, Mm. where Jesus is saying, you haven't taken care of my sheep. You've lost my sheep. So I still feel like they're going to hear Jesus say, go, go find all, all my Jewish brethren, go find all the people of Israel, no matter who they are, because they lack good leadership and go, go teach them something new. Um, But that's a really, really good question. Um, But speaking to this triangle, um, I wish you guys could see the faces that Megan and Brent are making to each other right now. They're like, yeah, 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 you're totally right. You're totally right. No matter what Marty I was just going to say, I like that. I'm going to chew on that for a while. And then I'll probably okay, okay. I like group that. text everyone. Sorry that <laughs> podcasters can't hear that. But. All right. So, uh, M- Megan, give me Matthew 11, 20 through 24. You got it. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom than for you. Yeah, so... Um, Megan, keep that passage right there in front of you. What is it that they're at the very beginning? Woe to you. Why? Go ahead and read that first sentence one more time. Woe to you. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. So what I find so interesting about that is when we talk about the Pharisees, I think we often like to say the Pharisees didn't believe. They didn't believe that Mm. Jesus was. Mm. That is not what they're chided for. Jesus, Jesus critiques the Pharisees because they don't repent. Hmm. Like, what is the note that I have here written down? It doesn't say that they didn't believe the message. It says that the message didn't change the way that they lived. So Jesus comes and he does miracles. And I think we always are like, yeah, they didn't believe his miracles. No, 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 no. No, they believed. They understood his textual banter. They understood his brilliance. We have multiple references in the Gospels of how they understand how brilliant Jesus' teachings are. What, the, what, he, what he corrects them on is they don't actually repent. Mm. And then he uses two examples. Which two groups are going to judge them at the judgment, Megan? In judge that passage. Him. In that passage, he says two different groups are going to rise up. 
there's two different groups of people that are going to rise up and judge them. I mean, Tyre and Sidon and Tyre, Sodom. Okay, so Tyre and Sidon are going to rise up. Who is Tyre and Sidon? Brent, can you remember any references to Tyre and Sidon? No, of course not. Okay, they showed up in spot. Isaiah. Yeah, they showed up in Isaiah. And that, that Tyre and Sidon are known in prophetic imagery as... That's the passage that we always quote talking about Satan. Remember the, mm. in Isaiah where we talk about Satan falling from heaven? Because he, that passage was actually about Tyre and Sidon. It mm. speaks of arrogance oh right right we knew that yeah right yeah yeah i like that so it speaks of arrogance and and jesus uses that group of people to say those arrogant people are going to rise up and judge you because you're even more arrogant than them and of course obviously you said the last group was sodom 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 and gomorrah what what are they going to be known for lack of hospitality not protecting the foreigner okay so this is the critique Jesus says, you have all the pieces you need. You have the text, you have devotion, you have obedience, you have passion for mm-hmm. God. And what you don't have in your, in your prideful, arrogant self-righteousness, Oof. you don't have compassion. And it's the one Oof. piece you're going to need in order to do the work that I want you to do. And I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I feel like... I'm going to I'm going to touch on this next podcast. I feel like the biggest thing we struggle with in the church is we are cultural Herodians and religious Pharisees. It's like the worst mixture. It's like the bad of the Herodian and the bad of the Pharisees and mm-hmm. we stick it together. And the way that we shop and the way that we oh, uh, the way that we consume goods, the way that we the way that we just live culturally, we're Herodians. Like America. Like we we want we want all the luxury. We want all the consumption. We want oh. all of that. But then when it comes to our religion, we're Pharisees. Like we lack all compassion. Mm. So we don't have the devotion of the Pharisees or else we would never be Herodians. We just have the bad of the Herodians and the bad of the Pharisees. And it's like a horrible cocktail. Ouch. Ooh. Ooh. Probably a good place to end. Something to think on before we... Next podcast, we're going to review these groups and kind of look ahead and start prepping for the Gospels. But um, maybe something good to think about with the Pharisees. Boy, do they have... They have it all. They have it Oh, they have every last piece they need. They miss the one piece that matters, and that one piece they miss is compassion. How many of us that are listening to this podcast or speaking on this podcast have that problem? <laughs> not, not you, Megan, of course. Of course not. No. But, man, how much of that is true in my life? I have everything else, but I lack compassion for the people that God cares about. Mm. Mm. It's tough. Tough word, but a good word. Very convicting. That's the Pharisees. It's our five groups. All right. We're going to learn a lot more about those Pharisees by the time we're done. Let that one sink in because that one's going to come back over and over and over and over again all throughout the Gospels. Three years worth of ministry. More to come. More to come. Three years of podcasting? Ooh, not quite. Not quite. But three years of Jesus' ministry. All right. If this was my podcast, it'd be three years of material, I'll tell you. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something? Juicy. Yeah, absolutely. We have to make it somewhat manageable. All right. I think I have. I think I'm here in Bema session six. You got a well. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I think there's room (laughs) in the future. Once we once we get through all the sessions, I think there's room to come back and all right. You know, delve deeper into some of these topics. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Well, uh, of course, Megan Gambino. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Megan. Thank you for having me. Thank you, all you listeners, for listening to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I think we're going to get a lot of um, very positive feedback. You're going to have to come back more often. Done. Um, you can find Megan on Instagram at megambino, and her website is reconfigureart.com. Both of those will be in the show notes for your quick reference. Uh, you can find more details about the show at bayamontestablishup.com. Uh, you can get a hold of us there, contact form. You can find uh, ways to get a hold of me or Marty. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what you what you think, where you think you stand uh, in these five responses. So let us know. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Bayama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.